You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. They offer just about every battery under the sun, from car and truck batteries to batteries for your trail cameras and rangefinders. Select retail locations even offer cell phone repair and cracked screen repair. Find a local retail location at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to Maximize Your Hunt, the podcast dedicated to those who want the most out of their hunting property. This podcast explores land management, habitat improvement, and hunting strategies that will help you maximize your time in the field. Follow along as industry professionals that live and breathe white-tailed deer share their secrets to success. And now, the founder of Whitetail Landscapes, your host, John Teeter. Hi, everybody. I'm John Teeter with Whitetail Landscapes. This is Maximize Your Hunt. I'm fortunate to have a hopefully recurring guest, Steve Shirk. Steve Shirk is with Shirk's Guide Service. He's out of the Allegheny Mountains in northern Pennsylvania. Steve was born and raised in Pennsylvania. He uh, still lives in the same town that he grew up in. He's been guiding deer hunters for over 10 years. So he's had a ton of success. I've followed him on Instagram. Uh, I, I've learned a lot from his contributions. He's a writer for North American Whitetail Magazine, which says a lot about Steve. Uh, obviously, some of the top writers in the industry uh, write for that magazine. I've, I'm really happy to have Steve you know, on the podcast. He's uh, really focused on big woods, but I think a lot of his tactics will apply to landowners across the U.S., uh, he really focuses on public land. I mean, that's been his forte for years, and he's really hunted highly pressured deer in those areas, and I think a lot of people can relate to that. Uh, even though he's a Northeast guy like myself, I think a lot of the tactics are going to really apply to you. Uh, the one thing I'll say is, you know, he's going to be our hunting tactics guy, and uh, a lot of it will be big woods focused, but a lot of it will just be hunting in general. So pay attention what Steve has to say, and and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to have him on the show. Hey, Steve, welcome. Uh, are you online? Yep, I'm all good, bud. Thanks so much for having me, and uh, I'm totally looking forward to it. Yeah. Do you want to give any details at all about just, you know, you, where you're at? You know, we've talked the other day, and, you know, you're, mm -hmm. you're, you're doing a lot of postseason scouting. I know that's going to be the focus, but, you know, what's your schedule yep. like? You know, I, what does it look like right now for, for that kind of stuff? Yeah, um, well, because, I mean, some people are – Probably most listeners that know me, uh, you know, probably don't know everything about me. I uh, I do landscaping in the you know the spring, summer, and early fall. Uh, what's kind of unique this time of year is up now up my way. It's extremely mild, and I should be plowing snow right now. So I'm not, which is 
I'm something I'm not complaining about at all because I'm getting way more postseason scouting time in right now versus plowing snow. So uh, my schedule right now is getting the woods as much as possible, especially I prefer not having snow just because, you know, you can see all the ground sign, you know, way better. Um, even, uh, you know, sometimes after you get a lot of snow, it's hard to even, you know, see rubs and that kind of sign. So I'm um, just really taking taking advantage of this mild winter early start that we're having and uh, hitting the woods as much as I can. Yeah, I think that's a great takeaway because if you have time available to you right after season, like in New York, yep. the season's still going on. Uh, we've got a break here, then we start again. We end just before the first of January. You know, I, I want to get in the woods. I want to be like you. I want to be checking, you know, checking sign, looking, you know, pulling cameras. There's cameras I can't get to, right? I don't want to. I don't want to disturb those areas. So I'm, I'm kind of waiting for postseason. You know. Yep. No, that's just because uh, Pennsylvania is a little bit different. But pretty much my postseason scouting starts the day after our gun season ends. Um, and once again, the the earlier you can get out there, the better because. The, you know, even some of that, a uh, lot of that November activity is going to really stick out. You know, we're only you know a month or so you know after that time frame, so it's going to really be a lot more noticeable now versus if you go out there, you know, March or April. Not that you can't learn a lot then, but I think the sooner you get out there, the more you're going to take out you know on your scouting adventures. Yeah, yeah, and you know, a little bit, Steve. This is kind of interesting. I was thinking about a property I was on last year. You know, I, I have to travel, you know, quite a bit, but it was a New York property. I was in the Adirondacks, and we walked it, and it, it was up, the snow was up to my belly. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we were trying, I'm trying to diagnose the property, and I'm just trying to make it through the 60 acres without, you know, having a heart attack. You know, so I think, I think you're right on with saying, okay, you know, snow's, you know, either it's present or it's not existent at this point. I need to take advantage of that time. So let's yep. get let's get into kind of your scouting process and what you're doing. I know you're you're kind of on a daily task. It seems like you're 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 you've got a lot of ground to cover. So that's that's one thing that might Absolutely. be unique with you. You know, you've got a lot of ground to make up. But like, what are you doing? Like, how are you picking apart your areas, or what are you starting to focus on right now? Is there a big deer that you wanted to kill, and and you're mm-hmm. trying to get back in there to just figure out what the heck happened or where where he was, or what what are you doing right now? Yep. Well, mainly right now, before I get too far ahead of myself, I'm trying to figure out what big deer are still out there. Um, you know, you don't want to, uh, I mean, yeah, sometimes you got to guess and hope, but you really want to know for sure what deer's out there versus, you know, thinking he's alive and maybe spending a good portion of your postseason scouting learning a certain deer and then realizing he's not alive. So right now, I'm, you know, that one of my main focuses is definitely okay what deer are still you know still left and then you know what i'll do is once i can definitely you know confirm whether it's you know maybe trail camera photo or i see the buck or find the sheds then i will start to really dial in on uh you know what i think his home range and core area is so but yeah the biggest thing right now is definitely don't get too far ahead of yourself you know, find out what deer are still alive if, you know, if your hunting season is over. Because in Pennsylvania, pretty much once gun season is over, we do have a late archery and uh, flintlock muzzleloader season right after Christmas. But honestly, 
there's extremely low pressure. You know, I I know very few people that you know kill big deer at that time. So yeah. if I find a big deer now, it's ninety nine point nine 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 percent chance he'll be there next season. Yeah, yeah. I, I I notice the same where the deer are kind of in a survival mode. You know, we get out yep. of these. You know, forget you know the, all these consequences where we're talking about. You know, um, this honey, this this bit of honey pressure, or that thing that's going on in the woods. I mean, deer are just trying to survive, right? We're going into the, the tough part of of kind of their life cycle, and you know, yep. either you know, if they're wounded, obviously you'll find remnants of them. If if they do survive, um, you know, you're probably looking for pieces of the puzzle. So let's kind of yep. let, let's assume that you're you're finding the deer uh, that that you're interested in. He's survived the the the, the gun season you know, all the hunting seasons that you've had. And now, now you're trying to diagnose exactly what's going on and you're trying to scout and figure out his, his kind of his core area and kind of put a picture together, a story together for yourself. You know, kind of tell the tale of what you're doing now, of how to get, you're trying to get an understanding of his core area. And I know you're still running cameras, but, yep. you know, how are you trying to diagnose all that? Because that's where I think a lot of people get lost. You know, what do I do next? I know he's alive. Sure. Now what do I do? Yep. Well, when you brought up cameras, I know to me that's the most important key for me is spreading out, you know, cameras through a lot of areas. And what I, you know, what I'm first starting out at is, is okay, what cameras in a certain area did that buck show up on, and maybe even like what time of year? Um, say if it's like you know mid to late October, I'll go back and see. Okay where was that deer at that time of year? Because in my opinion, that's the time of year when you can really start to figure out, okay, that was more of his core area versus if you, you know, throughout the first three weeks of November, what you're getting, you know, where you're getting pictures of a deer or sightings, then he could be out of his core area because, you know, he's just cruising, searching for any hot doe he can find. His range is going to be a lot more. So I'm really digging down on, those October photos and that kind of intel. And then I will go into that area and um, try to maybe find, you know, beds of his. I'm looking for sign. And then I'm also really trying to learn how can I access it properly, uh, choosing stand sites, um, just really getting a feel for the area. I always say if you want to kill a big deer, you got to know his house just as good as he does. Um, you can't go in there, you know, with a lot of guessing and figuring out once the season is started. If you can figure out a lot of that now, you're going to be way ahead of the game. So, um, you know, once again, uh, if for me especially, I'm focusing, if I'm hunting a particular deer, it's mainly that mid to late October period, maybe a little bit into the first week of November, but then after that, you know, and from what I see in these big woods, it really gets harder to uh, dial in on a buck once his his rut range really starts to expand. Yeah, that's interesting. And you know, you're thinking, you know, this is on public land mostly, right? And we're talking about yep, big woods, yeah, you know, big wood settings, right? In your particular situation, if you kind of think about it across different. I guess different locations and landscapes and private land, right? In the private land yep. situation, you're building their house. You can build the, you know, where yep. where you're you're working with what you have, right? You're working with the land in the landscape and, and the environmental conditions. That that's that's determining where deer want to be and figuring out where they want to be is 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 
probably the hardest thing at first, right? If you're Definitely. thinking, you know, a, a three, four thousand acre chunk of, of state land, even if it's a hundred acres of state land, um, you know, you're trying to figure out where those deer want to be. And I think, I really think that's the toughest part, you know, figuring out where they want to be. And either in some cases you're using trail cameras, but a lot of people want to sit and observe stuff. And I, I don't know about you, as time's gone on, I, I don't have the time to sit and observe anymore. I need to go in and kill, <laughs> you know, so I, I'm kind of in that place. And, and I know you're doing this for, for other individuals who are your clients, putting them in on deer. Like, how are you connecting the dots? Like, because you're taking observation data, you're taking camera data, you're trying to break down a deer and, and figure out, you know, it's it's a lot of data to, to take in. So I bet you postseason, you're kind of you've got all this kind of jammed up in your mind somehow and you've made sense of it. I, and I give you a lot of credit for that. Um, you know, what, what, how, how are you really, how are you diagnosing all this data that's coming in and now you're putting a plan. I mean, you're trying to kill, you know, your deer next year, but you're killing them today because you're putting all the pieces together. How do you sort yep. through that? I mean, how does it, how does it come yep. together? Yeah. I mean, just fortunate, <laughs> just able to get out there, I, I've told people, some people think I'm exaggerating, but I, I'm in the woods scouting over 300 days a year. Um, it's not, I always tell people I don't go to the gym. Uh, it's That's my exercise. I just try to make it a goal just about every day, even if it's just a half hour, an hour, uh, every day if, that I possibly can get in the woods, I'm in the woods scouting. And uh, that's, that's what you have to do, especially in an area, you know, that I'm hunting, these big woods areas. You can't just, you know, six, seven, eight times a year, even in the postseason, go out there and, and really, really get to know things. It's, it's, it's kind of a year-round, almost daily process. There's just so much area and so much that you need to find out and learn that you just got to be out there as much as possible. Um, and, and I, you know, I keep bringing it up, though. I, you know, I run usually the past few years, it's been, you know, around 150 trail cameras, which really sounds like a lot, but we could probably run 500 and it, we could, it's, there's never going to be a point when we're getting too much information. But those trail cameras, I keep saying, are our number one tool to learning, you know, figuring out some deer the biggest key is you have to know a buck's home range. Even more important than trying to figure out his core area, you need to figure out that home range, and then you can start to move in and determine a core area because, you know, you might just, a lot of people, you know, you, you get a picture of a deer, and it's it doesn't mean that that's where you're going to kill that deer or anywhere near it, but when you might have, you know, maybe you have 15, 20 cameras in a square mile and you start to see, okay, this deer is over here sometimes, he's over there. You can almost outline a deer's home range and then you start to focus in on that circle or square or whatever kind of pattern it is. Um, even to me, it doesn't even matter what time of the year I get pictures of a buck. You know, even in the summer, you know, a lot of people think that summer deer don't live where they live in the fall and i've found that to be just about completely different they may not you know when we're talking acres they may not be in the same 20 acres that they were in the summer but they're still going to be in that home range area and a lot of times they'll still go back through those summer areas in hunting season so 
the biggest key right now for me is I'm going through any data I had on a particular buck, mainly from trail cameras, and I'm starting to draw out his core area, kind of map, or his home range area, and I might be able to figure out his core area now, but for the most part, I'm trying to, you know, line out where I think his home range is, and then throughout the postseason, I think I can also um, eventually dial in on his core area. Steve, are you actually taking, and this may sound pretty basic, but are you taking a map, and I know you're looking at individual deer, right, because you, you're trying to categorize these older age class deer into this in this opportunity for your for your clients but you know are you taking a map and saying okay this is where i generally think this deer is and and looking at these overlays of these different bucks or how are you kind of putting the picture together yep i mean it all depends on how well i know the area like i'm definitely like i said i'm going back through the trail cam data and you know i can tell just by if I pull up a picture on a camera, I already know like what area that is. Sometimes I know the area so well that I don't really need to even look yeah. at it on a map. Yeah. But if I don't, I have actually done that, and I have talked about this before, um, like connecting the dots. I have uh, not so much. You might say, you know, say you have 20 cameras in a square mile, and you'll, you know, and they're kind of just in a cluster. I don't really line out the inside pictures, but you can kind of just draw a circle or a square. Sometimes it's a triangle. It, I don't really see any any special pattern, but you kind of circle all around this cluster of intel, these dots that you have, and then, you know, you start to focus um, just kind of in that general area. And it's it's amazing, like, Obviously, I know these are wild deer, and they can do whatever they want, but it's almost like that they're just like us. They have their home. Um, it's even just similar to like that they were in like a fence or something. They they really, nine out of ten bucks, he will stay within his home range. Now, his home range will shrink and expand, you know, different times of the year. Yeah. That does happen, but still, most bucks stick to the same general area, usually probably around two square miles um, every year. Uh, basically, I see it from like two years old to I've seen bucks six, seven years old. They kind of, they just develop a home range and, and knowing that home range is what is the most important thing. And then a lot of times you can't figure it out in one year. It might take two or three, but Every year, you just start to learn that area more and more, and it gets more familiar to you about what the deer does, and it, you know, it, everything just starts to shrink down, and eventually, you can a lot of times hone right in on a particular buck. Yeah, it's interesting because again, I'll do the parallel here. Is you know, when I'm looking at properties and and kind of working on improving them, I'm trying to shrink a deer's core range or home range, yep. you know, to make it more attractive uh, on on you know a particular client's property. And you know, you're working and you're seeing the same thing just in a larger scale. How how big is the public land that you pretty much focus uh, generally, you know, with your clients on? I mean, how how large? What's the scale size of the property? Um, where we're hunting is probably around a couple hundred thousand acres of okay. stuff that we're hunting, but there's between 500,000 and a million, you know, that, that I could be hunting, <laughs> but it, then, then it starts to get to be too much. Like just 
we do kind of square out a big portion of it and really just focus there, um, especially for guiding. Like, I don't want to have guys 50, 80 miles apart or something like that either because right. if they need help, they get a deer or even my own hunting. It's kind of in, you know, 100 to 200,000 acres at the most, which is still a ton of, ton of area. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're Yeah. I think you might've lost a few people on that, uh, in that, uh, in that point of the discussion. Yeah. I think most so, of us are thinking, you know, uh, maybe a thousand acres or 2000 acres, right. You're, you're talking a, a larger, exactly. larger, uh, scale. Um, major amount. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that to me is overwhelming, you know, thinking about your strategy and when you said 150 cameras, now let me, let me back this, you know, back this up. You know, trail cameras to me are obviously one of the, you know, the basic fundamental tools that we all need to utilize. I mean, if you're not using trail cameras to collect data and and think about this really simple, simplistically, a trail camera is it's got a a very small, you know, visual uh, uh, gain, right? It only picks up a a set of data in in a small area. But what it does do is it does it more of in a natural setting. It's not, you're not disturbing it. You're not, you know, you're not going in there checking all the time. I, I know you leave cameras to soak, um, but you don't really have to get all that intel all the time. And in your strategy, which I think is interesting, is you're talking about the edges. So if you're going to go in there and take the trail camera data, you're on the edges. You're not in the interior, um, at least not, not all the time. I mean, is that kind of the way it works out for you? Yeah, I mean... Like I said, if we're talking about a particular buck, I will have cameras on the edges of its home range and kind of on the interior, uh, especially if it's a deer um, that I, uh, you know, I'm trying to figure out more. Uh, I'll really have, generally have a good cluster of cameras in a lot of different spots within side of his home range. And like I said before, it's it's often... I've had the most success um, getting on particular deer with literally two, three years of intel. It's so hard in these big woods one year to even go back off last year and and always really get to know. But when you have like those back-to-back two, three years, um, sometimes then I can even eliminate some cameras. I get to know a deer so well that last year I might have had 20 cameras on an individual buck. I can probably go to 15 or 10 because I learned his area so well the following year. Um, but you know, it just, it just depends on the deer. But for, to answer your question, the edges, yes, I always have cameras, but actually I have them, I'll have them plastered. It's just like a, uh, basically if you were just to, to throw a bunch of, uh, marbles out onto a map that's kind of what it would look like like there's no specific pattern or there you'll see dots of cameras on on my maps in a lot of different places yeah but i mean you're selecting locations or cameras that you you really know you're probably going to get some intel on and obviously those oh, are absolutely you know so so maybe let's dig into that really quick you know because i think this is trail camera setups is, is really critical right especially this time of year yep. to figure out who lived and died and of course, that's yep. going to change based on interest levels, food sources. Just uh, you know, as as the landscape changes seasonally, right? Cover changes. But like when yep. it comes to getting like data now, and, and again, we're just focused on po- postseason, and we'll probably do in yeah. season in a later podcast. Where are you putting those cameras? Right now, it's tricky because 
normally you would have to focus on like their winter range and right now i'm not seeing that because it's pretty mild so it's actually a really good thing right now because what i'm where i'm seeing bucks now is probably where they were spending you know some of even the good portion of november and some of them are even back in their uh, october areas but if we start to get you know some bad winter weather then i'm going to have to readjust move everything to more of like winter habitat uh you know because in the big woods you know it's it's similar to uh i mean it, you probably see it too on some of your you know the private lands that you've dealt with like you, you might have a portion of the property that the deer specifically just winter on and yeah. that's what you'll find in the big woods like you know they need a lot more thermal cover hemlock pine um, they, they really like to have browse available. Uh, if there's, you know, if you get deep snow, it's very hard for them to, to dig up anything from the ground. So good browse sources are, are very key. They got to get out of the, the harsh wind, sometimes a really bad winter, although a lot of mature bucks get really stubborn, but in a really bad winter, most bucks and all deer in general will get forced to like the South slopes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you have to base it, you know, on, on what really what the weather's like. But like I said, right now, it, I, I, I like what I'm seeing now because if I was putting cameras in those wintering areas, um, I would at least, yeah, I could definitely figure out that particular deer made it. But I'm getting double intel right now because they're still in some of those core range, you know, areas that they were in hunting season. So... I'm learning more about how that deer is going to use that area next hunting season as well as I'm still able to find out what deer have made it. So it's it's a really good thing right now. Yeah, no, that's yeah, I think that's a great takeaway because at this point, you know, like you said, they're they're not doing, you know, they're not immigrating to the areas they need to be for kind of that that winter habitat that they need to survive in. Um yep. would you and this is just an interesting point, would you travel and and I mean, I don't under you know, understand how much you follow their life cycle. Uh, I follow some of my deer to, to make sure that they've survived the, the summer months and sometimes they get hit by vehicles and the whole nine. Um, I'm running cameras all year long. Do you, do you actually put time into going to those South facing slopes or winter habitat areas to see, you know, what the deer are doing to see if, if they're actually surviving? Cause I, we have winter kill here a lot in New York um, and yep. particularly uh, up in the Northern sections. And, you know, it's funny. I'm, I'm just thinking about you're, you're, you're kind of laying out some design things that I focus in on in New York. And I think it's really critical to focus on those areas. Are you trying to kind of just see who lives and dies in those particular, you know, uh, landscape areas that we're, we're talking about? Yep. Like, uh, last year, even though it really wasn't a long winter, we, uh, we got a couple real heavy snowfalls and then it's just crazy. The past few years, the temperatures are just like fluctuating so much where we got some really deep snow, but then it like warmed up a little bit the next day and rained and then got cold again and froze over. So for close to two months, we probably had like a two foot snowpack with like an inch or two of like ice pack on top of it. And that really put some pressure on the deer. Um, and I found sheds to like two or three different really good bucks. And I never found like their carcass or anything, but those deer that I expected to hunt the next season never showed up. And I believe that they just died. Yeah. I think, you know, they dropped in like 
you know, that's another thing, too, is postseason scouting. You know, you can find a deer sheds, especially even if it's like February, when really I always believed one of the most critical times for deer is more like that March, early April time period because by then a deer has lost all of its reserves. Like it can, even if it's really bad in January and February, it might have enough fat and reserves to to get by, but when it's really going to have an effect is that March, April time period, and that's when I think those bucks died. I found their sheds, you know, January and February. You get all excited, and then, it, you know, it still was a little rough for them in that late winter period, and by then they just they couldn't make it. So yeah. Uh, yeah. it definitely, that you definitely, you know, even though I'm in the snow plowing business, uh, I don't want the winter to get too bad because I care about my whitetails just as much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I think you, like anybody else who's managing property or hunting public land, I mean, you think about those March-April time periods when you get those, you know, late-season snowfalls or, you know, hard yep. pack or, you know, just ice and uh, just the, like you said, the limited reserves. You know, yep. if you can on your, your landscape, something to take away from those guys working on habitat is, you know, the, the critical times where the limiting factors are food, available food in, in a lot of forms, but most importantly in, in uh, you know, woody browse, those limitations absolutely impact your deer, yep. not only for survival, but antler development and everything that comes along with it. So the health of those deer in that time period is, is really critical. And that's, you know, you get a bad storm, you know, I've seen guys go out with their tractors and plows and like plow like food plots or you know some guys start trying to supplemental feed which is not a good idea um your habitat's supposed to support the deer and obviously the conditions and weather that we're dealing with are going to make those deer kind of co-locate uh for safety purposes whether it's in maine or new hampshire vermont um even in the midwest states you know you'll notice a lot of deer you know focus on those really good food sources and in addition that thermal cover and we'll break down thermal cover in other podcasts but you know i i really think like you know steve's example of paying attention to these deer through their life cycle and recognizing that you know they may have had a tough hunting season but you're not losing them to hunting season you're losing them to actually weather conditions that are that are present on your landscapes and i think that's having an awareness factor that you might need to follow that deer you know through through you know the entire period of time and in my case you know i'm losing deer to you know uh, car impacts you know getting hit by yeah. vehicles going down the road which which happens in you know even public land settings you know lo- along the edges you know uh you know heavy uh, traveled uh, road you know adjacent to some public land so you know just take awareness of that and having the intel that know you know what deer lives and dies really sets your next hunting season up and for steve who's guiding people i mean that's obviously essential to his success he needs to know if that deer's in the landscape um steve i want to kind of end with one little thing i mean you've plowed a bunch of information on here is you know you're really kind of one of these guys that's really in my opinion you're setting the stage for a lot of people to say you know wow steve steve sure can do it on public land not only alone but with these clients i mean you've put all this time and effort I mean, you made the statement, I'm in the woods 300 days a year. Now, a lot of people can't dedicate that amount of time, but if you could dedicate more time to just scouting, I mean, you know, I think that's critical. And something I took away from this podcast is having the time or just dedicating more time to to learning. And, you know, what? do you have any takeaways in, in your mind just from this discussion? Because that, that was my big takeaway. 
sure. I mean, and I can just touch on that, um, especially like, you know, we're getting towards the new year and I always feel like, you know, everyone has their new year's resolutions and even for a deer hunter, um, I think you can, you know, make some goals and changes towards, you know, how you hunt and how you scout. And this is just, you know, and this isn't to brag or anything, but like, I, I love to do a lot of different things and, you know, I like to have success at whatever I do, but what I've found, um, is if I want to be great at something, I have to start to eliminate a lot of my hobbies because, you know, for just about everyone, uh, hunting is, is a hobby. So I will say that, um, if you want to become a better hunter, you almost have to start eliminating other things that you do. And I'm not talking about, you know, making it more important than your family and, you know, making it the number one priority. But, uh, I used to fish a lot. I rarely fish now. I, um, I don't really play sports. I don't golf. Like I said, I don't go to the gym anymore. I used to, I used to weight lift and, you know, and be really into fitness. But what I found is I, the more I put into this deer hunting, the scouting, the more I get out of it, the better the hunter I become. And I think that that's something, if, if you really want to, you know, go to another level in deer hunting, you know, especially going into uh, this, this new year, 2022, um, the only way to do it is to, to put more time in. And that could be, that could be a great goal for you. Um, just get out there as much as possible. Like I keep saying, it's a, it's a year-round thing. You can learn something and become a better deer hunter any day of the year. It's not just in the postseason. I know that that's what, you know, we mainly base this about. But spring, summer, fall, and winter, there's always something you can learn and gain from every time you step foot in the woods. And uh, like I said, I've learned that I can get great exercise out there. I don't have to go to the gym. I may not be as strong as I was, but... I can I can give up that because I'd rather be a better deer hunter than be able to bench press you know more weight every month. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think I think that that's what what you have to decide is if you do want to become a better deer hunter every year, um, you have to really make it you know kind of your your main hobby or however you want to put that. So uh, that would be that would be my biggest tip to anyone is. You know, if you if you feel you're struggling or you're kind of just leveled off and and you want to get better, you just got to get out there more, and it's just got to become a year-round activity. Yeah, yeah, and I I agree. I echo everything you said 100%. I think that's uh, so true and a great takeaway. Well, Steve, I appreciate you being on. We've got more podcasts to come with you and I. We'll break down, you know, more details and and obviously get into some of the minutia that we didn't have a chance to get in today, but. I'm looking forward to having you on again. So uh, thanks for taking the time. Thanks a lot, bud. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. All right, everybody, thanks for following, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Maximize Your Hunt is a production of Whitetail Landscapes. For more information on how John Teeter and his team of experts can help you maximize your hunt, check out whitetaillandscapes.com.